John 14. Sacred part of the Bible there, John 14, 15, 16, and then on into 17. John 14, 1. Let not, Jesus is speaking, let not your heart be troubled. It's a decision you've got to make. You have an agitated, irritated heart today. You're bothered about something, and it's, it's going to spill over into fear. He went on and said, uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, he said, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, verse number 27, he said once again, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The setting for that exhortation is an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. It's Passover, Jesus and 11 hand-picked men, the 12th Judas Iscariot, having gone to betray the Lord. And Jesus looking into the faces of these men and what should have been and could have been a gathering to celebrate Passover, something was wrong. The atmosphere was not one of worship, but it was one of worry. You see, these men, their hearts were troubled. These men were grappling with what the Bible calls fear, in the Greek language, a phobia. I'd like to tell you that uh, this was an unusual occurrence in the lives of these men. Now, these were the best of the best, the cream to the cream. They are, they are eventually, when you and I see them in eternity future, Revelation chapter number 4 and 5, these men are going to be seated upon thrones in heaven. They will have crowns that they will cast at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are not mere men. These are men that were supernaturally energized by the Spirit of God and became what we know of as apostles of the faith. And yet they were afraid. And this is not the first time. In fact, on many occasions during the three years and six months thereabout, of the Lord's ministry with those men. Numerous were the occasions in which he had to exhort them to overcome this emotion, this feeling that is so powerful. And it's, it's, it's as old as humanity. The emotion of fear was first felt by, by the first Adam. Genesis chapter number 3. I was afraid. No, up until that time, up until disobedience and partaking of the forbidden fruit, it was an emotion that had never been experienced by Adam, never been experienced by Eve. But the first verbal expression of what goes on inside and what was going on inside of his heart when he heard the voice of Jesus walking in the garden of the cool of the day was fear. It was phobia. It was the sweating of the palms. It was the dryness of the throat. You know what it is when you're taking speech class and you're your first time and you've never done any public speaking. You know what it's like. At least it ought to be that way. And I think it's just a part. The fear is a very natural emotion. And it's a good emotion in its place. But it never belongs in the driver's seat of your life or mine. Uh, the Bible says, the, uh, introducing the wonderful uh, Proverbs of Solomon the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why we have so many stupid people in our world today. 
Because once you cast out the fear of the Lord, you have no capability of really discerning and having what the Bible would call wisdom. So they make incredibly dumb decisions and actually think they're making good decisions. See it on every hand. Not just outside the church either. But anyway, fear is good. The uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God, the Bible tells us over and over again. But fear outside of its boundaries becomes extremely dangerous in your life and mine. It affects us. It affects our mind the way we think. We begin making decisions that are not logical or that certainly are not scriptural. And so here we meet these men after three and one half years. You'd think they would have learned by now how to, how to at least master their troubled hearts. Of course, you really couldn't mask anything from Jesus because he could see what was inside. But oftentimes fear does show up on our countenance. And when Jesus looked into the face of these men, he saw worry and he saw fear. They were afraid. Now, when you consider, look with me at Luke chapter number 5 for a, for a moment. We'll use our Bibles a little more. Uh, I say a little more. I don't know how often you use your Bible. But anyway, Luke chapter number 5. I noticed that in the history of the relationship of the Lord with these men, these same men, that he is, uh, in fact, I think it's the number one problem that he, Jesus dealt with that is recorded for us in Scripture among these men that were all in with him. I mean, these were not, these were the best of the best. And he continually was, was cajoling and, uh, and rebuking and reproving and challenging them to overcome their fears, knowing how crippling that would be. And people in ministry particularly face fears. Now, all of humanity face fears. Uh, we face fears. I mean, from your childhood until the, your dying days, there are issues, there are, there are experiences in life that just make us afraid. But when you go all out for Jesus Christ, you put yourself in a category of facing fears that the average Christian and certainly the unsafe person will never face. And that's certainly true when we meet Luke's account of Jesus calling uh, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. Was it Luke chapter number 5, verse number 1? Luke 5, 1, and it came to pass that as the beetle pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And you know what he did? He took Peter and Andrew and uh, went out in a boat and they caught a lot of fish. And they came in and uh, Jesus had uh, something more in mind than just simply uh, helping them catch a boatload of fish. Verse number uh, Ten, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. Now, why did he say fear not? He said fear not because Peter was afraid. Now, what was the discussion there that was causing fear? Well, there are two issues that come up when you study it in Matthew chapter number 4, Mark's gospel also. You'll see a different little side to, to the whole situation. But it really boils down to this: these little words, follow me. Now, that statement was, uh, was made and, and, and as a, a statement that would then remove them from their occupation. And the point is this, is that when you go all out for Jesus Christ, there are, there are certain responsibilities that come our way, demands that go along with ministry that create atmospheres where it's going to be easy for you to become afraid. And one of those demands is following Christ. 
The norm of life for Peter and Andrew and James and John was, their thought was, and when Peter's wife married him, she probably thought, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm married to a fisherman, and he's going to be a fisherman. He, he's going to be a fisherman for the rest of his life. You know, he's, he is never uh, trained in, uh, in, uh, in, for the ministry or any such thing. But can you imagine that day when Peter went home? Now, he had a large paycheck or a lot of coins in his, uh, in his little bag there with him. But there, his life, Mrs. Peter's life, their families would never be the same because of that commandment from the Lord, follow me. For them, it meant leave their occupation. And that produces an enormous amount of financial stress that can lead us to be afraid. And so it is with the life that's lived all out for Jesus Christ. You begin tithing. At least you should, and shame on if you don't tithe. And not just on a dollars that you would receive from an employer, but also on the, on the money that the uh, employer has taken out for FICA and for Social Security, all of those things too. And by the way, tithing on the gifts that you receive likewise. But you know, that's a, that can be, make you afraid. How can I tithe when I don't know how we're going to meet all the expenses? You go all out for the Lord. The Lord said, come and follow me. They forsook all. This, the, the gravity of that, that, that statement about these four men is just overwhelming. They, I mean, they, they walked away from their occupation and they followed Jesus Christ, who was not well known and nor was he known as a money man who would take care of them. No promises. It was just, and I'm simply saying this. That for those of us that have decided to follow the Lord, for me it was when I was 16 years of age and a Friday night and Brother Hiles was preaching and it was in Kalamazoo, Michigan and there were 10,000 people there and I walked down the aisle. I thought it was the only one in the room. But I walked down the aisle and I bowed my knee there at the front and I said to the Lord, I don't, whatever it is, I don't know what you have for me, but I'm all in and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And you know, it's a change, a transformation in my, in my life. And, when you, and, I, and I hope you've done that, Romans 12, 1 and 2 in your life. But I'm simply saying that this matter of fear was not something new in John chapter number 14. But at the very beginning when we meet these men, Jesus is having to look into their faces and he sees fear. Because it is a fearful thing when we're under financial pressure. I mentioned tithing, that's just the beginning. How about offerings? And how about almsgiving? Yesterday, someone gave me a gift, gave me a gift, $400. About 10 minutes later, somebody else walked in my office and let me know about a need. And the Lord said, Paul, what are you going to do? I said, don't talk to me now. Well, I'll tell you, what, I'd give $200 to that, to that need that someone had. He said, why? Because I believe in almsgiving. We've got to give to the poor. After all, the book of Galatians tells us that uh, the apostles said that they were exhorted to remember the poor. I guess so should we, shouldn't we? But when you do this sort of thing, then the other kind of giving is biblical lending. Are we doing any biblical lending? Like maybe not as college students, but hopefully you'll get to a point where you see somebody has sold out. This is how the Jews, how they built their businesses and how they had a leg up on other businesses because their model was this. If you need money, you don't go to the bank. You go to, the, you go to your Jewish friends that have money 
and they lend you the money up to seven years at 0% interest. And you pay them back. I built three buildings at Rockford on that, on that premise right there. I didn't build them. God built them. Through generous people who lent their money. By the way, 40% of the people who lent money at no interest for building buildings at our, at our um, uh, facilities, 40% of them at the end of the seven years or before said, you know what, we really don't need the money anyway. It was a wonderful way when you don't have to pay interest and you're borrowing money. But, you know, for the person who takes it, it's a step of faith to give somebody money. I, I've started five businesses. No, nobody else knows about it. I tell the people, don't tell anybody because I don't want anybody coming to me and saying, hey, I've got this business idea. But if I see something and, and I want to help somebody and God leads me to help somebody, I can lend them some money. They can start a business. They can pay me back. And they can have a leg up on, on, their, on their business. You know, this is... but. This is what it means to be all in with Christ. You're going, to, you're going to have a different way of looking at money. It's funny, even when I'm around Christian people and they're business people, but they don't have a biblical perspective on money. It's amazing how interested they are in the stock market, how interested they are in their money's doing and this and that and the other, and how they're going to spend this and how they're going to make this much over these many years. And they think, oh, I feel so sorry for you. You ought to be looking at, well, where does God want me to live? What kind of level does he want me to live on? And then what can I do to help advance his kingdom and invest in his work and in people that will take the gospel around the world? But I tell you, it will put you in a position where you're going to find yourself. You're going to say, sometimes you're going to find yourself afraid. The uh, financial pressure is real, particularly for dedicated Christians. Then the thought of fishing for men. Fear not. Follow me. I will make you to become fishers of men. What an analogy. The word's catching. There's something uh, frightening about the idea. Hey, what are you going to do? I'm going to see this sinner over here, and I'm going to go catch him for Jesus Christ. Like you go fishing. Well, I don't know about you, but fish don't generally like to just be caught. And so they resist being caught. I shot, I caught a six and a half foot, well, maybe it was three and a half foot, but no, it was six and a half foot. Marlin off the coast of Acapulco, and it took over an hour to bring that, that guy into the boat. Why? Because he resisted being caught. Now, here are these men. They hadn't studied under Plato. They didn't know, probably didn't even know who Aristotle was or Socrates. These were not men of words. They were, they were hard-working men that fished all night and then took their, their meat to the market, their fish to the market, mended their nets, went home and slept, and then went out and did it again. But they had gotten saved, and now they were following Christ. And he said, you're not just going to follow me, but you're going to become a fisher of men. And that can be extremely frightening. And I'd like to tell you that it will just get easier and easier as you get older. But it's not true. Now, it can get better, and I, it's gotten better for me. But I can remember when I was 18 years of age, and I really wanted to be a better soul, a good soul winner. I really wasn't much of a soul winner. And, but I... Some of us in college, we got an idea. We'd go to our town there, Rockford, because I was in Bible college and then going, to, going down to Rockford at, uh, on weekends and uh, just working on weekends. But in our community, there was a dance club for teenagers. No alcohol, sir, but it's a dance club. 
And they, they didn't have a DJ, but they had a big jukebox in there. And it was held in, a, in a, one of the public schools in the area there. And the teenagers would come, you pay a little fee and come in. We got this idea, you know. Wait, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. We'll take our Bibles, our New Testaments, and, and we're going to go in there. And uh, two guys will go in the, uh, they had a kind of an off area there, kind of a showering room area there. I said, you're going to stand in here. And uh, we're going to talk to guys and we're going to ask them if they'd like to find out how they could go to heaven for sure. And then try and bring them in here and then you can win them to Christ. So I got, uh, I got a sign. I got a sign to go out and to try and catch the fish, bring them in. So these guys are out there. I don't know what the hell the dances were in the 70s. I don't, I don't remember. I, don't, I, I never did any of it. Obviously, you just saw one of my rendition. So I'm not, not really experienced in it. But, uh, but you could hardly hear yourself think, let alone talk, because the music was so loud. So I went back in and said, I can't even talk to anybody, fellas. So my friend Gary, Gary, Gary said, well, Paul, you go on, plug the jukebox. Oh, yeah. Hey, that's a good idea. So I went out there and I just kind of snuck around behind him. Unplugged the jukebox. Oh, suddenly real quiet. There was... <clears throat> uh, excuse me, but I've got an, enough, an, an announcement to make. But if, if you'd like to know how to go to heaven when you die. Now, the one that was going to die, <laughs> to be concerned about dying, I found out real soon was not them, it was me. And uh, by this time, my friends had come out of the restroom because they could hear this uproar of people that were quite upset, young, young adults. And I'm one of their peers, you know, I'm the same age. And a guy, and of course, he's bigger than me. And uh, he, he steps forward and he said, what are you doing? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you up. Now, about that time, my friend Gary had walked out and surveying the situation. He, he felt like it was time for martyrdom. And he said, go ahead and hit him. He'll take it for Jesus. That's what he said. Now, Dr. Gesh, I, I, I'd, I'd like to tell you I just really stood tall and firm, but I didn't. I turned, and as I was running out the door, I said, hit him. Let him take it for Jesus. Well, you know, uh, in fact, I didn't stop running until I got to the car uh, about two blocks away. But when Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men, the idea of confronting people about their souls, well, it's something that most Christians don't, they, you've got enough fears in life, why bother adding that to it? Fears that you can't, but if you go all out for the Lord, you're going to have financial pressures. They're just demands of ministry. And the ministry does demand that we open our mouths and we talk to people about Christ. Consider... Uh, Jesus confronting fear in Mark chapter number 4. Look at Mark chapter number 4. This is one of at least two examples that I know of in the, uh, the Gospels. The number one problem faced by dedicated believers, I think it's facing fear and there are demands of the ministry that cause us to be afraid. But there are also dangers of ministry. Matthew chapter number, uh, or Mark chapter number 4, verse 37. Mark four thirty-seven. Now, the scene is Jesus has been teaching all day long. The multitudes go home. They're snug as a rug and bug in a rug in their homes and in their beds. But not these men. These men are on a boat. Jesus said, come on, let's go to the other side. Actually, they're on the way to the, 
reach the demon-possessed man of the Gadarenes. But what they didn't know and what he knew is that there was going to be a great storm. Not a little storm, a mega storm was going to come up that night. And it did. Well, Jesus was sound asleep in the back of the boat. And Jesus confronted their fears. It was a natural, a natural disaster there that Jesus, of course, was in control of. But you know, when he rose up and he calmed the storm, he looked at the men in verse number 40 of Mark 4. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? Why are we so fearful? Now, I don't mean this in a sacrilegious way, but it seems like a pretty... You know, when you've got a boat full of water and you're not afraid, you're either asleep like Jesus had been or you're insane. But you know, Jesus looked at these men. He said, why are you, why are you afraid? Now, these men would have never been in that situation if they hadn't followed the Lord. Consider the dangers that, uh, that take place in following the Lord. I think of Matthew chapter number 10. Uh, Matthew chapter number 10. This is the sending of the 12 to the, what Jesus called the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew chapter number 10. The men are named. And then he goes down into verse number 7. Now, verse 5. Let's start at verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying... Now, can you get the picture? Jesus and these 12 men, same 12 men, 11 of them were meeting in John, John's Gospel, John 14, the whole reason we're there. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. They're dealing with fear. But this is not uncommon. It started right for the first time we meet them, and then they get on these boats, and they have these fears they have to deal with. Another one was Jesus came walking by in the fourth watch of the night, told them you have to, not to be afraid. Now here, he's sending the men out. And you talk about an anemic pep talk. Just humanly speaking, no wonder they were afraid. Here he says, at verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, or, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. That's so far so good. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, number seven, verse number 7, he's, he's telling these twelve guys, Now they're newbies still, Preach. Oh my. Preach. You mean, you mean like, like lift up your voice and say, Thus saith the Lord? You mean that kind of like the John the Baptist guy that goes around with, a, you know, rest a little funny and saying, repent? Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Now, don't you think that would cause you, them to be afraid? In fact, four times in that same conversation, he's going to say, fear them not, fear them not, fear them not, fear them not. But you know, what he told them to do wasn't just difficult. That's difficult. But it's not impossible. Verse, verse, uh, verse 8. Heal the sick. Excuse me? Uh, I'm not a doctor. This is all I'm going to do. I, I want you to go preach. Okay, well, that's going to be hard, but now then I want you to heal the sick. Oh. Uh, cleanse the lepers. Lepers? You mean those ones that, when you get anywhere close to them, they have to cry out, leper, leper, they can't get close to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah those. Uh, I, I want you to get so close to them, you're going you're gonna to cleanse lepers. That's what I want you to do. Can you imagine these 12 men listening to this assignment? But it gets more difficult. Cast out devils. 
Yeah, we've cast a few out of our church. Yeah, one was a deacon and one was a Sunday school teacher. And one, <laughs> I know, that's, um, well, here it gets bad, though. Raise the dead. Did you get that one? You mean like when somebody's dead and, yeah, raise the dead. Now, here's the point. It's very frightening, humanly speaking, to consider that God's calling on our lives is not to do the difficult, it is to do the impossible. His expectations of you and me are not according to our standard of expectations, but he sees in you and me, saw in these men, greater potential than what they could have ever seen in themselves. The calling of God in their lives brought fear into their lives, into their hearts, because there are certain dangers that go along with ministry. Look at, uh, we're in Matthew here. Um, Look at verse number 16. Can you imagine how discouraging this is? Verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, that's encouraging. Sheep in the midst of wolves? And Luke says it this way, Luke 12, 32. Jesus looked at these men. Now, now everybody has a... You know, they're in college. They're in his... He's their master. They're his disciples. So they're in his school. And uh, every team has a mascot. You know, I grew up in Michigan. and We had the Detroit Tigers. Well, that's good. Tigers. That's got a good sound to it. Then I moved to Chicago area, and we've got the Chicago Cubs. Now, Cubs just doesn't get it. Now, I, I like the Cubs. I go to Wrigley. And, but it was a choice. Am I going to do the Cubs or am I going to do the White Sox? And who wears White Sox, you know? Uh, sorry if you're wearing White Sox today. But anyway, but the, team, the, the teams that you, if you usually choose a mascot, you know, it's usually something really bold and strong and gives the idea. You know what? Jesus looked at the men in this same context. Luke 12 says it this way. Uh, Fear not. No, listen to what he calls these men. Little flock. Can you imagine they're listening to him? They're looking around. Little flock? You mean he's talking about me? Can you imagine if your team was called the little flock? Hey, come to Lancaster Baptist College or and uh, uh, West Coast Baptist College and come cheer on the little flock as they play basketball tonight. We've got white sheep, we've got black sheep. <laughs> Come watch them. Oh yeah, it's going to be a great fight. Some fight. Then there are disappointments that go along in the ministry. It's not just difficult, it's impossible. It's dangerous. Demanding. And all that, naturally speaking, it causes you to be afraid. But when you come to John chapter number 14, the issue that he's dealing with there with these men is disappointment. No, don't miss it. <laughs> I can tell you there's a lot of disappointment in serving the Lord, humanly speaking. These men were very disappointed. You say, man, what were they disappointed about? They're disappointed with Jesus. 
these these men had the same idea that you know the the, the, the we we'll call it the triumph the triumphal entry you know when Jesus came in and they took the palm leaves and put them down on the road took their coats and put them down the road and on the on the road coming into Jerusalem he rides in on the foal of an ass you know what they were doing the Jews were in their mind they're welcoming their king who's going to overthrow the Roman government these men when they took up following after Jesus. When he said, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. It wasn't in their minds, oh, we're just going to become fishers of men. We're going to be trained by this guy. And then he's going to go and leave us. No, no, no. They knew he was the Messiah. And they were looking for the overthrow of the Roman government and the establishing of Christ's kingdom. And they were going to sit on thrones. Now, you know, all of that was true. But it was not yet. And they, they came to realization by John chapter number 14 that there was going to be no kingdom yet. There was going to be no overthrow of the Roman Empire yet. There would be no crowns yet. There would be no thrones yet. There would be no, throne, no honor yet. These men were facing disappointment that comes with ministry. When the Lord acts outside of our box, outside of how we... You know, we talk more about there are two men in the Bible that talk more about transparently about their fears than any others. Job and David. Two, obviously, incredible men. But when Job lost his wealth, lost his health, lost his children, lost the affection and encouragement of his wife... Job grappled with fear that sprung out of disappointment. David, another man. Many of the Psalms. In fact, you can go to over 800 places in the Bible and meet somebody who's grappling with the emotion of fear. They had to learn how to face it. In John chapter number 14, 1 and then 27, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, there are really only two options when, we, when we're overcome with a phobia. The first is a human nature response. And uh, stress and fear affects us. And two uh, young ladies are here in school, uh, Dr. George Crabb's daughters. And uh, their dad's my doctor. I was just with him last week at a head-to-toe physical down in uh, Naples. But last year, he spoke at our couple's uh, retreat at our church. And he, from a medical perspective, he shared, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a natural response that God built into both the animal world and into humanity. Now, we're not animals. We're created in the image of God. Trichotomies. But God, in His design of mankind, He placed within Him, within us, the same, the same sympathetic nervous system response to fear. And so when someone is in trauma, when they are afraid, the body naturally the body naturally releases three hormones. Adrenaline, 
cortisol, and no repinephrine. Now, what this does in the animal world and in the human world is it triggers an immediate response so rapidly they will, they will either try to flee or they will turn and fight. Now, it's true in the animal world. I, I was hunting three years ago in the fall in, uh, near Durango, Colorado on Pastor Chapel's uncle's farm, a ranch, and a six-by-six six bull elk came bugling down and har- harnessing off some cows. And I had the privilege of putting a 300 Winchester short mag into his chest. And he stumbled to the ground and got up and put another bullet in him. And he went over across the field and lay down on both sides of the field, real heavy woods. And, and steep hills, but the field where he had where, where I shot him. When I shot him, he did not want to come to me. He did not look up and say, "Oh, I've been shot. Maybe I can get closer so you can get a better shot." No, do you know what? His sympathetic, his nervous system immediately released those three hormones, because this is true in the animal world. It's true in the human world, and he immediately wanted to get as far away from me as he could. And so he stumbled the best he could, and he went as far as he could, but he fell down at the edge of that field. Snow on the ground. Now, uh, Mr. Chapel said, well, preacher, good shots. Man, that's great. Let's go have some breakfast, and we'll come back and pick him up. He'll just bleed out. So he went and had breakfast, but we came back, and he wasn't there. And someone had not stolen him. He was not mortally wounded. And he was very mad. (laughs) And he was up the hill. In the thick woods, I remember saying to Mr. Chappell, what do we do now? He said, well, you are going in after him. (laughs) Suddenly I'm feeling afraid. I said, is there a plan B? He said, no, you are going after him. I said, what do I do? He said, I would recommend you shoot him (laughs) before he gores you. And sure enough, I I followed the blood trail up, and you could tell, you know. And but they're so thick and they're so they can hide so well. I didn't see him until he was this far away from me, and he stood up and his nostrils flared, and he put his head down and he came right at me. Because he couldn't flee anymore. What was he doing? He was doing exactly what human, what, what animal nature would teach him to do. You flee if you can, and if you can't get away from it, you fight. <laughs> no, obviously he didn't gore me. I shot him. He died. End of story. Great story. But you know what? That's exactly, are you listening? That's exactly our human tendency when we're stressed out and when we're afraid. Run away or become argumentative and mean. I'm sitting there listening to Dr. Crabb teach this. He's teaching husbands and wives, you know. But I'm not thinking about my marriage. I'm thinking about pastoring my church. I'm thinking, man, I know, you know, people that I really love. And, boy, they just, they, they just left. You know, there's a stress in their lives. They got afraid that something was going wrong. And you know what they did? They just quit coming to church. 
And then I know other people, they didn't quit coming to church, but boy, they had been my best friend, but now they were my bitterest enemy. You say, why? Because that's the human response to stress. It's the flight or fight syndrome. Well, how did the disciples, how did the disciples cope with this? Well, take a look with me in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Just after this conversation, Judas comes, kisses the Lord, betrays him. And in Matthew chapter number 26, we're told about it. And verse 48, Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. Forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Peter. Peter, why did you do this? Because that's the natural response when you are afraid. You are going to fight. No matter your one sword against an army. Logic, when you're afraid and it grips your mind, it'll cause you to do the most incredibly stupid things. Now, thank God Jesus was there, you know. He picks up the ear and puts it back on and no super glue, anything like that. Now surgery just... He said, Peter, Peter, put away your sword. So, then verse number 56... But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Don't miss this now. Then all the disciples forsook him and what they do? What's it say? They fled, didn't they? Why'd they do that? Because in their sympathetic nervous system, a release of three hormones was initiated and that caused them to fight or to flee. Now, this is nothing new. Let's go real, quick, real quickly. Look at, I mentioned uh, the first man that was afraid. Look at Genesis 3. Let me talk to you just a moment and see. Uh, this is so, this is Adamic. It comes all the way back to Adam. So when Adam was afraid, what's the first thing he did? He said, I hid myself. Why did he hide himself? Because of the sympathetic nervous system that said, Listen, you got to hide because you're embarrassed, you're ashamed, you've sinned. That was a human nature, natural response. But wait, so the Lord confronts them. And then later on in the chapter, the Lord says, you know what, you can't live here any longer. You're going to have to forfeit Eden, you can't, you can't live in Eden any longer. So the Lord, verse 23, Genesis 3:23. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden... To till the ground from whence he was taken. When you talk, talk about a change, you know, changing of address. Eden, paradise. Can't go in there anymore. In fact, to keep you out, I'm going to put cherubims there with flaming swords. Why? Because uh, when Adam couldn't flee, Adam decided to fight. You know, the Bible says that the Lord sent him forth. You know, that's a verbal command. But the Bible says, verse 24, that God drove out the man. That's a physical response. So what does it mean? It means Adam said, I'm not going anywhere. 
you are not going to remove me from my home. I'm not going to do it. So what did he do? He had to be driven out by God. He said, well, then I've got an excuse when things get tough to run away and hide. I've got an excuse to get angry and become argumentative and then abusive. No, you don't. Not if you're a new creature in Jesus Christ. You see, John 14, 1, not only, pro- not only introduces us to this major problem that we all face this matter of fear, troubled hearts, but he also gives a solution. It's not to flee. It's not to fight. Jesus said, how's it go? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. So here it is. Because we're new creatures in Christ, I don't have to run away when troubles come my way and make me afraid. And I don't have to become angry and upset at God or anybody else and become abusive and argumentative. I don't have to do any of that. But I can have faith in God. And particularly, I can have faith in Jesus Christ. I'm simply saying this, that... It is through trust and faith, reliance upon, dependence upon Jesus when we are afraid that will propel us forward in the service of the Lord. And God has a wonderful future available for everyone who will grow in their faith in God.